Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is Groundhog Day, also known as Candlemas, also known as Candle Mass. So let's uh, start there today. Puxatawney Phil is not the uh, only weather-predicting groundhog in America. He just happens to be the one who is the most famous. That is thanks to the editor of the Puxatawney Spirit newspaper, who in 1886 on February the 2nd, issued the following proclamation. Today is Groundhog Day, and up to the time of going to press, the beast has not yet seen its shadow. So uh, the editor of the Puxatawney Spirit newspaper in 1886 inaugurated uh, really this this day in terms of American, I don't know, folk practice. Uh, and so Puxatawney Phil also known as the seer of seers, the sage of sages, the prognosticator of prognosticators, and the weather prophet extraordinaire. Um, I think it gives us an opportunity to talk about um, some of those words and some of um, what it means to prophesy or prognosticate or be a seer or a sage. Like Those are good words for you to um, till in the soil of your conversation today. Uh, But also knowing really what this day is is about in terms of a theological calendar, and that would be the 40 days after Jesus was born. So inclusive of Christmas Day, today is day 40, 40 days after Jesus was born. His parents, according to Luke chapter 2, took him to the temple. Uh, so Luke two twenty two, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So the date is always February the 2nd because it's exactly 40 days uh, after Christmas. And the law of Moses uh, stated that 40 days was the period of purification after the birth of a child. And so the presentation took place 40 days uh, after the birth of Jesus or after Christmas. And that is today. Uh, It's interesting that February 2nd is also exactly halfway between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. So it's actually a date that's always been significant in calendars of all kinds, even for people who place their faith in things like the movement of the planets and the stars. So how did the presentation of Jesus in the temple on February the 2nd become Groundhog Day? Well, there is um, some pointing to John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And uh, you'll have to remember, people lived by candlelight for a very long period of time. And so candle mass began to be celebrated. It's the point when people started bringing candles to their priests to be blessed um, in celebration of the birth of Christ, who is the light of the world. Well, how many candles would you bring to be blessed on candle mass? Well, you would uh, bring as many candles as you thought were going to be needed to get you through the winter, which meant it would be helpful for you to know how much longer winter was going to last, so you would know how many candles to bring to have blessed by the priest. Yes, thus, candle mass. Uh, in German, 
In Germany, they uh, they actually used um, hedgehogs as weather predictors. This was before the day of modern technology. And so uh, translating loosely what the German use of hedgehogs on what we call Groundhog Day would have been, if the hedgehog sees his shadow at Candlemas, uh, he will crawl back into his hole for another six weeks. Well, German settlers to what we call Pennsylvania continued the tradition, although they switched from hedgehogs to groundhogs because, well, groundhogs were more plentiful in North America and thus Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. There you go. So, um, yeah, there you go. The text for the day, importantly, is Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 38. It is the presentation of the baby Jesus in the temple um, satisfying the purification laws according to the law of Moses. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and offer sacrifices according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves uh, or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the, the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit to the temple that day, and the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Well, the text goes on. I encourage you to read the whole thing today. Be in the Word of God today before you get out there into the world that God so loves. Know what the Scripture says about this day, which America observes as Groundhog Day. Let you and I observe it as the day when Jesus was presented in the temple and both Simeon and Anna confirmed, indeed, this is the Christ. Next up, Nick Pitts. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. You can follow him on Twitter at JNickPitts. Hey, welcome back, my friend. Hey, Carmen. Happy Tuesday. Happy t- Happy Tuesday. Indeed. Tasty Tuesday. Let us taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, okay, so we have um, a number. I don't really know quite what the number is, but a, a number, a growing number, a significant number of former Bush administration officials and others who are announcing their departure from the grand old party, from what we call the Republican Party. Um, And they have gone so far as to say it has become a Trump cult. They're not the only ones, nor certainly not the first ones to use that language. Um, It's certainly used throughout Michael Cohen's book, uh, Memoir Disloyal, um, you know, and others would use that language as well. Uh, I'm just, just teeing this up for you to comment on and what do you make of all of it? Yeah, you know, it, it is really interesting. President Trump, um, uh, I mean, for all you can say, he's extremely popular within the Republican Party. He had upwards of a 90 percent approval rating. Um, he had upwards of 70 percent of people believing uh, what we now know to be the false claim that the election was rigged. It was stolen from him. And um, and so there's there's that component of it that he has captivated the Republican Party and still to this day holds it, um, even with um, the 
um, a minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, out of California going and paying him a visit uh, last week. And so there's still a strong contingent that does uh, follow after him and does seek his approval. Um, the second piece is what's interesting is what we saw right before the Republican convention where the Republican Party in 2020 decided not to give, not to provide a platform, uh, a, a set of principles and planks by which to advocate for um, going into the 2020 election. If we'll remember that uh, it really was, it revolves centrally or just around the person of President Trump. And so you've got a, a, a significant level of popularity that was and still is to this day uh, contingent upon President Trump. Two, you have a Republican Party that didn't even put forward a platform of uh, positions and stake its claim on such traditional items as limited government, um, uh, the right to life, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so it, it, it's, it's very interesting now that you're seeing just a, a contingent of people and Namely, these aren't just any people. These are people that were formerly in the Bush White House. These are people that have dated back even further than that, have decided um, to kind of leave the party. And one might argue they didn't necessarily leave the party. The party left them. And so it, it's, it's really interesting news. And I would imagine that we're only going to continue to see more of this as the days move forward. Oh, this notion that, you know, I was in a group, an organization, a church, a denomination, uh, a body of some kind, and the ground literally shifted beneath me. I did not change my position. I did not change my beliefs. Um, But the group of which I was a part is now in a very different place Mm -hmm. than it once was. And so this notion that, um, you know, people wake up to and realize that um, what they thought was centrist is actually either now far to the left or far to the right. I think that I think that both um, centrist Democrats and centrist Republicans are both experiencing that dislocation today. Yeah, you, you know, uh, speaking again for the Republican side, what's interesting is you you saw this after 2016 when uh, National Review gave its famous never Trump issue, that there started to be a line that really started to make a delineation between individuals that were Republicans and individuals that were conservatives. And so they would they would say that uh, I'm a conservative at the very core. That's uh, that's one of my top identities. And the Republican Party was the uh, was the uh, political coalition by which conservative principles were advocated for and pushed forward in the public square. And what you're seeing now is there's just a significant contention of people that are leaving the Republican Party because they're no longer advocating for those conservative principles. And I, I would dare say that, uh, to go back to your comments, it's probably very similar to what Democrats I've, I've got many friends that are Democrats that would say this contingent that's on the far left that would advocate for socialist policies or would advocate for very hard, very hard left uh, progressive policies. That's that's not the Democratic Party that they knew um, and that their parents had, um, and and the party is leaving them. Hence the reason why you might, you the numbers bear this out that that uh, that millennials and Gen Z, the most popular and pervasive political identification for them is independent. 
All right, Nick Pitts and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. When we come back, I'm going to ask him about Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia's 14th, who I would argue is fueling the perception that the GOP is at least delusional. There you go. That'll be my tease. We'll be right back. I continue my conversation uh, with Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. Um, So uh, in answer to a person on the text line, um, are the people who are leaving the Republican Party joining the Democratic Party? Um, No, clearly not. These are genuine conservatives, um, and they are interested in limited government. They are interested in fiscal responsibility. They're interested in a strong U.S. military. Um, They are interested in... Uh, issues related to life. So, no, they're certainly not going to be joining uh, the Democratic Party. I think that's uh, and then that leads to the question of what's next. And neither Nick nor I are in a position really to answer that question. What we can tell you um, is that there is a member of Congress right now whose name is Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, She is uh, elected by the people of Georgia's 14th. She um, Uh, She claims that the shootings at Sandy Hook Elementary School and Parkland High Schools um, were staged as a way of getting the public to agree to limit your Second Amendment gun rights. Um, She also espouses belief in conspiracy theories associated with what is called QAnon. uh, And I am going to ask Nick for his thoughts. Yeah. um, One, just to touch on what you just mentioned, I think that's a really important point. We're living in a false dichotomy that says that just because individuals are leaving one party, it means they're going to another I just don't think that's the case. There are a lot of individuals that find themselves to be politically homeless. And again, that for those that have ears to hear, that might sound resonant because as Christians, we know what it's like to be homeless. We know what it's like to be alien and rejected by this world and to really just not feel at home anywhere, but been called to make this place, uh, make this place more like our heavenly home. But uh, uh, to go on to your second point, yeah, um, MTG, as she is affectionately known in the online world, um, uh, uh, Representative Green, newly elected from uh, Georgia's 14th Congressional District. Yeah, she is a a known QAnon supporter, which is just a far right conspiracy theory group that uh, that believes that there is a significant portion of politicians that are uh, pedophiles um, and believes and thinks believes that President Trump won the election has a history of kind of racist and inflammatory and false statements, suggested that Muslims don't belong to the government. Uh, Like you said, the Sandy Hook uh, and Parkland shootings were staged, even has a viral video kind of harassing uh, one of the survivors of of that. And then um, just recently, there's a lot of um, uh, reports out that she uh, she's claimed some connection between uh, the deadly 2018 California wildfires and space lasers that are controlled by a Jewish banking family um, as kind of suggested some ties there. Uh, and I, I'm not the one that's the only one that's making these claims, even to the extent that last night we heard that Senator McConnell out of Kentucky, the former majority leader in the Senate, uh, he called uh, some of her lies. Uh, they call he called her quote loony lies that are a cancer to the Republican Party, and um, she has received the support of the president, just as former president rather President Trump, just as recently as this weekend, and um, and she will be meeting with uh, the minority leader Kevin McCarthy later this week to figure out 
um, next steps for her. I know that there's uh, approximately 50 members that are trying to either censure or expel her from the House. And, um, and there's a movement now to try to kick her off for her committee assignment, which is on education in the House, uh, namely because I mean, uh, when you're saying that Sandy Hook and Parkland shootings were staged, it's really hard to find um, a home on that particular committee. So, um, yeah, I, <clears throat> I agreed. Agreed. Hey, let's do um, one more quick story before um, we have to run. Uh, there's a game coming up this weekend. It's going to be played in Tampa. The Kansas City Chiefs um, are going to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs are owned by a very faithful family. They're very public about their faith and the importance of faith in their own lives and the role that faith plays in the Chiefs organization. I just thought I'd tee that up for a conversation today as well. You are not going to find uh, now. Here's where it's tied: the huge game that is on Sunday. Kansas City Chiefs owner Clark Hunt. He, a heart of gold, a man after God's own heart. He lives here in Dallas. He is uh, he is known in the city just to be exceedingly generous. Um, a man that really does epitomize the idea of seeking the welfare of the city. Um, he is involved in a variety of causes to make heaven here on earth, and he is he is just a, a very good man. He's not someone that just talks the talk, but he's also someone that walks the walk. He and his family, coming from a rich heritage of individuals that were wanting to make heaven here on earth, just a really stellar man. Now, personally, I I am I think I I think I have to say this. I'm going for the Bucks. I know, but me too. To I know, it's I grew, to I grew up in Tampa. I know, I, <laughs> I know, and and our, we have listeners. We have listeners. I know we have listeners right now in Kansas City who are thinking about I don't know tuning me out, but I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I gotta tell you, you know, go Bucks. That's hard for me to. Know. I, you know, there's, there's, I, I feel very conflicted right now. One, uh, I want to support uh, Mr. Hunt and the Kansas City Chiefs, and I cannot imagine how anyone can stop the likes of Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. They're so fun to watch, aren't they? I mean, seriously. So explosive. My goodness gracious, never count out Tom Brady. I know. It's going to be... All right. So anyway, um, obviously, Nick and I not not in the same uh, not in the same place, but we will both be watching what is happening in the Super Bowl on Sunday. And we just thought we'd tee up a story related to a very faithful family, um, the Hunts, and the way uh, that you could weave the conversation about faith into your conversations about the Super Bowl. There you go. There's all kinds of places you can turn um, for those headlines. Uh, just just type in the words Kansas City Chiefs and the word faith, and all kinds of stories will storylines will will come up for you um, on that front. Hey, Nick, thanks as always so much. So good to be with you, Carmen. Likewise, you can find uh, Nick on Twitter at j Nick Pitts. We'll be right back. All right, so it would be fun, um, Paul, for all yes. of our listeners to be sitting in, the, in a room at the same time, um, each with a microphone, because that's what's happening on the text line, which I love. Like, <laughs> I love, good. right? Because I would love for them to be able to talk with one another, because I have um, my email and uh, text blowing up over the last few days. Why are we not directly addressing QAnon? Why are we not directly equipping the church to address believers 
um, in our midst who are now uh, believing so much so in, in conspiracy theories that they are advocating for violence on the streets of America and paying for it. Mm-hmm. Um, why am I not talking about that? I am, I am my, uh, it's, it's, bur- it's been burning up my email. We also have those, also have those <clears throat> who are wondering um, why I'm not presenting direct evidence of the claims now made on my show um, that uh, there was no vote tampering. And, and so let me just be really clear that you think you're listening right now and you're listening with a, a group of people who all agree with you. <laughs> and I just think that people need to know that, right? There's 100,000 people listening right now or some such number. And they don't all agree with you. And so I wholeheartedly appreciate you continuing to um, raise your concerns and seek to have your voice be heard. And I'm, I just did. I just articulated both of those um, positions here. And what I'm trying to do is offer um, faithful witness to what we know to be true. And so what you are going to hear me repeat on air is that which I have personally done enough digging into to be able to say with some confidence, here is the truth as we know it today. This is the whole truth, as much of it as I can uh, can dig out, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And when I discover that I have said to you something that is inaccurate, I'm going to tell you, hey, I said something the other day that was inaccurate. Um, and And when I hear you guys saying things that are inaccurate, I'm going to tell you so, but I'm going to do so privately. And so I'm not going to call you out on air by name, um, but I am going to address your concerns as you raise them in emails and um, on text messages. And so just be confident of that. I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to continue speaking the truth. I'm going to do so in a way that's verifiable. Um, and And I'm not going to repeat information here that is conspiratorial or without evidence. I'm just not going to do it. So, um, I, you know, here I stand. I can do no other. There you go. That's going to be my <clears throat> Lutherism for the day. Next up, I got Luke Moon. He and I are going to talk about what in the world is going on in the world. There is a military coup. Uh, there has been a military coup in Myanmar. All of the duly elected members of government had joined together in what we would have recognized as a January 6th type event where all the members of their parliament were together. Uh, to launch the new, um, what we would consider like the new session of Congress and inaugurate a new prime minister. All of those people were together in one building and the military uh, staged a coup and all of those people, all of those duly elected officials of government um, are now uh, in, I mean, they're basically being held as hostages. That's, there's no short way of saying that. They're basically being held as hostages by their own military Um, And, you know, so this is how it plays out um, in places where democracies are fresh and new. Um, Thankfully, ours has withstood the siege that some sought to uh, place upon us. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Challenging days. Luke Moon and I are going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what's going on in China and Russia and Iran. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I work with troubled kids, teens who have lost their way. And their parents often ask me what to do when their teen is arrested. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Well, I believe in allowing a child to own the consequences of his behavior. I believe it's best to not bail a kid out right away, especially if he truly deserved being arrested in the first place. It's a tough decision. 
but letting your child sit for a day or two in jail may be the lesson that's needed. And correction at a younger age is far better than imprisonment for a lifetime as an adult. Think about it. Jail time might just speak to your son or daughter louder than you ever could. It'll bring a sobering sense of reality to the choices and consequences. Parenting teens isn't for the faint of heart. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. The wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet, they'll cast their golden crowns. When the man comes around. Hey, Luke Moon is back from... The Philos Project, you can find him at philosproject.org. Some of you have asked for a more robust introduction of Luke. Okay, here's some things I know about him. Uh, He has lived, worked, and taught in over 45 countries around the world. He's an advocate for human rights issues. He's an ordained Southern Baptist minister. He's the deputy director of the Philos Project. Uh, He served as a business manager for the Institute on Religion and Democracy in Washington, D.C., and as a missionary with um, youth with a mission for 12 years, where he used his carpentry skills, which is not in his published bio, but something I feel like I know about you. Welcome, Luke Moon. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. You You too. All right. What in the world is, yeah, what in the world is going on in Myanmar? Well, there was a coup. There was a coup. The you know there was a military dictatorship for so many years, and and they had this opposition leader uh, named uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, and and she was actually a, a Nobel Prize peace winner, and and she was she would you know there was there were, you, she was under house arrest for something like you know twenty years, a really long time. Anyway, she was let out. There was changes in the government and there was it looked like they were heading in the direction of democracy uh and they had an election on the on november 8th and it it um you know we didn't we didn't pay attention to it but it turns out she won like 82 percent of the vote which uh made the you know former military dictators kind of nervous they were like wow these people actually support this woman right and so they were like uh enough already so yesterday or sorry monday their time uh was the they were going to uh hold their first session of their in a sense congress and uh, the military shut it down and has retaken power uh and it's uh it's, it's really unfortunate and all of those duly elected lawmakers um are basically being held captive inside the equivalent of their capitol building it's a very interesting um, parallel for people who are paying attention. Um, talk with us about the Rohingya, because um, I think that one of the things that we might imagine would be that, oh, this woman um, is, you know, is on a different side of the conversation about the treatment of the Rohingya people. And maybe that's why the military doesn't like her. But in fact, she and the military are on the same side of that conversation. Like, it's a complicated mix. It is a very complicated mix. I mean, one of the challenges is that is is you know the Rohingyans are are, are Muslim, and uh, the most of the people in Myanmar are are Buddhist, uh, and and you know there are tensions uh, between those you know those 
the, the line between Islam and some other group often has some kind of tense relationship, and that was not any different in, in Myanmar than other places in the world. And, and so uh, the, the Buddhist uh, military leadership of, of Myanmar uh, basically, you know, pushed back at them and, and created about a million refugees uh, that are in, in uh, Bangladesh, who's the country nearby. The, I mean, the other, like, you know, interesting angle here is that China had planned to put or was looking to put a port in Myanmar um, that would allow them uh, to have access to to shipping without going through uh, the straits that go go by uh, Singapore, uh, and which is which is advantageous to them because that's a really kind of bottleneck a lot of traffic in that space, uh, and and so there's there's some uh, suspicion that that China's involved in this. They all you know they they also. You know, in in treating Muslims badly, they're 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 good uh, bedfellows. Um, w- you know, with with the Myanmar leadership, so it's a there's a lot of uh, unsettledness about this whole situation. It's not clear yet. Yeah, it's one of those situations, Luke, where you know it, se- it would seem obvious to to me as an American that um, in terms of democracy, we want to be on the side of those who are um, democratically elected. And not on the side of those who want to really continue a military junta, even uh, even with uh, the veil or the patina of um, of democratic elections. However, it's really complicated because the person whose side we would be on is still a human rights violator in terms of the treatment of a particular uh, religious minority, namely the Rohingya. And so I just want people to sort of know all of that, that this is a really complicated situation. And so when you're looking for the current um, American administration to, quote unquote, do something, just recognize that uh, that means we're going to align with someone. And in, in this case, both parties in leadership are on the wrong side uh, when it comes to human rights. Let's pivot to China and let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Hong Kong, the refugee flow, and then let's also talk about Taiwan. Yeah, in in, Taiwan, in, in Hong Kong, they, the the UK has established a a new path to citizenship for for people from Hong Kong. I mean, uh, Hong Kong was a basically a territory of uh, the United Kingdom for uh, 99 years. That was the 99 year lease that that had been made a deal with the with the Chinese a long time ago and that came due and and so the UK walked away and and China or Hong Kong was was an auto- an autonomous region uh in in China for a while and and then uh they decided in the last year or so uh, enough already and and we're going to make it part of China proper and and which meant taking away a bunch of kind of the democracy elements that had that had made Hong Kong such a great place. Uh, and, and the UK basically, uh, against the wishes of, of Beijing, have decided to uh, set up path to citizenship. And and what it means, it, I mean, really, it, it's it's good for the United Kingdom in, in terms of the type of refugees that were coming. Hong Kong tends to be wealthy. They're very driven people. And so it could bring a lot of uh, capital into the country, but which is also reason why uh, Hong or why Beijing doesn't want 
that Hong Kong citizens to leave is because they also recognize that they have a lot of money and they don't want that outflow of that money uh, to to follow those people. Uh, and so it's it's uh, another kind of uh, chapter in what's going to be an ongoing uh, struggle for the people of Hong Kong, and you know their 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 loss of freedom uh, can't be ignored, and it's it's really a sad state. All right, we're going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Luke Moon from the Philos Project about what's going on in Taiwan and why we need to be uh, paying attention to what China is up to on that front as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Luke Moon, you can follow him on Twitter at Luke Moon One. All right, Luke, let's pivot from Hong Kong to Taiwan. Now, Taiwan is is a really, uh, you know, it's one of those situations that we expected. And I, I mentioned this uh, to you a couple of weeks ago that, you know, with the new Biden administration, there'll be tests of his leadership in the various places around the world where we have difficult relationships. And, and Taiwan is one of those places where, where I kind of expected that to happen. And it has um, basically uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, China has been uh, doing flybys with military jets, with their bombers, trying to just kind of basically uh, stir up uh, the Taiwan uh, government to, you know, there's there's a chance of, you know, if, if something accidentally happens, then it gives them a pretext to 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 kind of fight. It, it tests where the U.S. is going to come down uh, in support of China versus Taiwan and and are we going to defend Taiwan when the outgoing administration had sold uh some state of the art um uh you know weaponry uh to the Taiwan uh government as a way to protect themselves and it's it's really a uh you know a test I think of Biden but it's also a test of of Taiwan itself because Taiwan is is uh, the the policy from the U.S. government is what's called a one child, not one child, one one, one China policy, which which was basically, you know, I, it's it's a, it's a dinosaur of a policy uh, that that was established, you know, long time ago. It you know under under Nixon, and it's been it's been ever since that we're going to recognize like neither Taiwan's not independent of China, uh, and it 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 one of the, Things that it just creates this kind of situation where the U.S. doesn't have an embassy there. We have a trade office. Taiwan's not recognized by the United Nations. It's it's for all intents and purposes, it really is an independent state that's not recognized by anybody else, largely because the great powers in the world have, have decided this is too complex to figure out. And it was, you know, we there was a you know, a decision made back in the 70s and we're sticking with it. And it's a uh, it creates a, a strange situation like we have now going on in Taiwan. OK, and then um, I'd love to talk with you about what's going on in Russia. Um, opposition leader Navalny um, uh, has is in is in jail um, and his wife is among 3000 people who have now been detained. What's going on? Right, Navalny is basically is is Putin's 
nemesis for all intents and purposes and and uh has been a thorn in putin's side for a long time putin doesn't like thorns in his side uh and has done everything he can to kind of uh mitigate his his influence in the country uh i the reality is like putin is still uh widely liked uh in you know if you can trust any of the media um and and it's yet nonetheless i mean there's this opposition leader and he is able to to galvanize uh people uh to, to take to the streets and that's what has happened there's been protests uh nearly every day um in in various places in in russia uh and and they continue to kind of call for his for Navalny's release but it it's um, you know, it's going to it's going to take a an ongoing more uh, pride protest for for many many months in order for for there to see the kind of pressure that would need to be seen in order to both get Navalny released, but also uh, to to get Putin out, and and that's going to be an uphill battle. All right, and then um, let's push off our conversation about um, negotiations between the United States and Russia related to the START Treaty, and let's instead talk about what's going on with Iran. Uh, Iran says no bilateral negotiations with the U.S. to rejoin the nuclear deal, and the new Secretary of State says within weeks Iran could have enough um, material enriched uh, uranium to to have nuclear weapons. This seems um, really dangerous. What well, is it's I mean, it's really dangerous because what what you're saying is is as soon as I, Iran has a nuclear missile, a nuclear weapon in that category, uh, it, it will be a matter of weeks before the Saudis do. Uh, it wouldn't be a, wouldn't surprise me if it's a matter of weeks before the Egyptians do, it, because what you have on the on the rise is like, you know, it's it's you know, if we have the weapon, we'll. They, if they have the weapon, we have to have the same weapon, right? And I, I remember back uh, when uh, Pakistan and India both basically acquired nuclear weapons uh, a, a couple weeks apart, basically. And we actually, uh, you know, I was leading uh, teams of, of missionaries with Youth with a Mission, and we had teams both in Pakistan and India, and we pulled them out because it was getting that intense. And they looked like they were going to, to uh, start lobbing nuclear missiles at each other and it was scary uh and it, un, unfortunately i i i don't see iran backing down they have no incentive uh, like that it would take a, mon- a herculean uh negotiations and offer on the table from the, the both the u.s and the rest of the world in order to get iran to to back down and i don't think they want to um and like like you said, they're they're weeks away from acquiring missiles. They don't already have it, right? And so what we're going to see is an arms race in the rest of the Middle East. And you know, the last thing the world needs is a very destabilized or or you know, basically, nuclear missiles um, sitting around uh, sitting around the Middle East. It's 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 not a it's it's not a good future. It's unfortunate. No, it's not a good future. Um, Luke, <clears throat> thank you for being. Um, you, you're like you're like our sober guest. Not that we I, have I, a lot of people who aren't sober, but you you are definitely my like international head, sober headline guy. 
I know, but it was well. And the thing is, I'm, I'm funny too, though. And but you never get you never ask me funny things. You only ask me things about like what's wrong in the world. And I gotta oh, tell you, oh, well, then what works? All right, let's do this one then. Um, in a in a little bit of a nod to Saturday Night Live, what still works, Luke Moon? Internationally, you have ten seconds to uh, answer that question. I don't know. That's the worst part. <laughs> dark so uh, you ask me again next week i'll be ready i'll be ready i will be we are going to ask luke moon next time we talk with him what works what still works around the world all right we're looking forward to that conversation luke moon you can find him at philosproject.org you can follow him on twitter at luke moon one thanks man thanks (laughs) we'll be right back What in the world is that? What, what in the world is that music? <laughs> that is called uh oh by the Nutty Squirrels. <laughs> because we're like on a rodent theme today. Well, What's yeah. going on? Well, it is Groundhog Day, you know. <laughs> I got the hamster dance ready for later. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Alvin and the Chipmunks. I mean, am I getting those no. at all? Uh, ever? I didn't pull out Alvin and the Chipmunks. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. even though they are mm-hmm. rodents as well. I, I mm-hmm. could do it. I have time. Oh yeah, you you can do it. You are the man. <laughs> With the capability. All right. Uh, that's really all we we have time for in this opening hour of Mornings with Carmen on this Groundhog Day. If you missed if you missed the open of this show, go back and listen to it on the podcast because I actually explain um, how Groundhog Day has biblical roots. It's, it's also Candlemas, and we talk about what that is and why that is. Um, know this. Uh, you need to read Luke chapter 2 beginning at verse... 22 today, because it's that passage of scripture that is actually um, what we should be talking about today on the day upon which Jesus was presented by his parents in the temple, recognized by both Simeon and Anna as the Christ. Um, It's an incredible passage of scripture. It reminds us that this messianic hope lives in the hearts of people and they long for it. They wait for it. They seek it. If you already know it to be true, share that good news with somebody else today. Jesus has come. He is God in flesh. Um, He came full of grace and truth. He came to show us the Father, and he came to become the one who is indeed the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. And so let's be sharing Jesus with other people that they might taste and see that the Lord is good on this Taste and See Tuesday. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.